When I was, when I was young, I would uh, sometimes dream about the future. I'd sometimes think about the future. Like, what, do we have any, we got a lot of kids with us, any eight-year-olds with us this morning? Any eight-year-olds? I know they're, just, guys, if, I know you're doing your coloring and that kind of stuff. And just give me your attention for a moment. Just kind of wave. Ten-year-olds, any ten-year-olds with us this morning? Twelve-year-olds? Okay, right on. Okay, there we are. So I remember at your age being um, like at a family um, gathering, a birthday gathering in particular, and, and somebody was getting really old, like somebody was celebrating their 35th birthday. You know, somebody was, ce- there, so it was 40th birthday, you know, 42 years old. Man, that seemed old when I was a kid. Gee, but, but then it would kind of inspire the thought, and I'd wonder, gee, where will I be? You know, when I turn 40 years old, what, when I'm 42 years old, what, 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 what will I be working at? Will I be married? Will, uh, will I have kids of my own? Yeah, I think about these things. I don't know if you, do you think about these things every now and then? Eight-year-old, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds? I, I still think about those things. So if you're eight years old here this morning, you, so Pastor Tim turned 40 this past summer. Now, that was no secret. He invited everybody. Like, if you're his Facebook friend, I think he was just looking for extra presents. That was, that's my theory. But, but when, if you're eight years old here this morning, when you have your 40th birthday, it'll be the year 2051. Like, is that a thing? Like, I can hardly even comprehend that date on the calendar. 2051? Like, if you're 10, it'll be 2049. You know, if you're 12, it'll be 2047. Like, these numbers, good grief, like 2019. How did it get to be 2019 already? But it's a human thing to look forward. It's a human thing to anticipate. It's a human thing to wonder. What will this be like? What will happen? What, what about when? I was talking to a friend yesterday about this. Like, you know, so 2051, 2051 um, what will jobs look like? What will houses look like? What will cities look like 40 years from now? Apparently, we will not be driving vehicles. It'll be autonomous, you know, driverless vehicles. I mean, that's the way it's going. I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. We were commiserating together. We both decided we'd be Will Smith and I, robot. Like, nuts to that. <laughs> Turn it off. I'm driving this thing, okay? Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grieve the, the loss of, of, of that. Um, 2051. We look forward. It's a human thing to anticipate. Maybe, maybe you are able to look forward. You may be able to look to the future with anticipation. You're able to look to the future and say, I don't know what it is. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be good. Or maybe not. Maybe you look to the future. Maybe you look forward and it's with uncertainty. You say, I don't know. I don't know. Like Maybe you look forward to the future and you say, maybe there's even fear there. Maybe there's even dread. Wouldn't it be a better thing if we could look forward with anticipation? If we could look forward with, with faith and say, say, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Psychologists tell us that uh, for the security of a child to be established, um, th- th- there's two things that are, that are really essential. One is the answer to the question, am I alone? Am I alone? Because you can be with other people, right, and still have a sense that you're, you're, you're alone. Still have a sense that, that others are not with me. The, the second question is, do I belong? 
That's a big question. Like these are big order of life questions. Do I belong? Do I have purpose? Do I have meaning? Is there design to me? Our sense of who I am begins to emerge as human beings in answering questions like these. Am I alone? Or or am I with others? And even if I'm with others, do I belong? Do I have a place? Is there meaning? Is there purpose? And, And of course... We ask these big orders of life questions, and there's layers to the answers to to these questions. But there's a fundamental, foundational answer to these questions that actually begins on the very first page in our Bibles. Begins on the first page in our Bibles. We're going to explore these questions together over these next few Sundays. So we're kind of anticipating moving into new space and where are we going? Well, let's, let's make sure we're asking the, the really right questions, the fundamental questions. Because who are we? Where do we come from? Why do we exist? Where are we going? If we get inadequate answers to those questions, it leads to uncertainty. And that can, that can lead to all kinds of dark places. It can, it can lead to, to psychological brokenness. It can lead to emotional despair. It can lead to inadequate, inadequate answers will lead to social breakdown in our society. But adequate answers, answers that are reliable, that, that, are, that are founded in truth, they will equip you to face anything. It'll equip you to face anything and everything that will come your way. Answers to these lofty questions inform us today and they lead us into tomorrow. So that's where we're going to go over these next couple of Sundays, these next few Sundays. Um, We're on the verge of a new era as a church family. The church family, the, the, the people of God here and now in this place called to represent him, to, to do his work in this space. And we're called, we're called to be his people here and now, today. We're called to be his people tomorrow. What does that look like? What does that look like to represent him effectively tomorrow? And so our, our series that we're starting this morning, A Place to Belong, it comes out of um, this campaign that we've been looking at over these last three years over three years now. We're called to grow. We're building a place to belong. We've spent lots of time on the called to grow piece. Well, what does it mean for us to build a place to belong? And what does it mean to be people with whom others belong, with whom you belong? We're going to talk about the idea of of, of place. Um, where, Where are we? We're going to talk about the idea of belonging. Who am I with? We're going to look at it from the perspective of geography. Where do I belong? We're going to look at it from the perspective of sociology. The people with whom I find belonging. Now, as you might imagine, the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the New Testament writings... The Bible has something to say about these fundamental questions that that every human being who has ever lived has has asked. And and we're going to start right on the very first page. Genesis chapter 1, I'll invite you to turn there, it's going to be on the screen. 
If you're dialing it up digitally, I'm in the New Living Translation. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Let me invite you to stand with me. And I'll read this for us, okay? This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. And then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. And then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, every every producing offspring of the same kind, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. God saw that it was good, and then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us that will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. 
And I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth, everything in them, was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. May the Lord help us understand it and live in light of what he's designed for us. Bless you. You may be seated. Who are we? Who are we? Where, where do we come from? Where are we going? Let me, let me start with that first one. Who are we? And we kind of jump into verse 26 of what I just read there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, first half. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So we begin to recognize that, that the answer to the who are we We are those who bear the image of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we we have been created with the intent that we would represent him. Okay, so in the ancient world, when a king would establish order in a realm and become the governor of that realm, It was common for the king to set an image of himself up in that space in order to declare that this is my domain. Couldn't be everywhere all the time. And so dominion was established by virtue of his presence. And statue, in that case, became the the representative of the king. It reminded the people, the king is on the throne. The king is ruling. The king is reigning. The king is taking care of things. He's, he's maintaining governance, sound governance, maintaining order and peace, or at least that was the intent, right? God had just brought order out of chaos. Chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness covered the deep waters. We know from this that God preexisted those creative acts. God stands outside of that first calling of matter into being. God stands outside of of time. He stands outside of of the space that he was speaking into existence. God took what was formless, what was useless, and he gave it form and function. He ordered matter to begin to do what he designed it to do. He was taking that which was useless and he was giving it a usefulness. He was giving it purpose. He's taking that which was empty and he begins to fill it by his command. And so so we saw that in day three, uh, the vegetation begins to form by his command, filling the earth, replicating itself. He began creating creatures and, and commanded them to fill the seas, fill the skies, We get to day six when the crown jewel of his creation is called into existence. Human beings are are, are created 
And he commands us to fill the earth, to multiply. And there's several things that we find in that day six act of his creating human beings, which is really instructive to this who am I question. We were made in God's image, it tells us. We were made to reign over the living creatures, we're told. Uh, We were given vegetation, we were given food, we were given sustenance. All of this comes together to to help us recognize, look, this is a resource that we've been entrusted with. We're to care for it, and we're to manage what God has created. Let me just read it again for you, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. That's a statement of intent. What's he about to do? He's about to do this. And then he does it. They will reign over the fish in the sea. Statement of intent continues. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Created in his image. You are his representative. Uh, You you stand to remind all of creation uh, that God is ruling and reigning, and he is on his throne. You are his emissary. You're his his ambassador. You and I are called to manage the realm that he began to call into order, and we are to affect the continuance of that order. We're to manage. We're to reign in this domain, which is his domain, and we do so as his co-regents, his, his, his emissaries representing his likeness in this place. So, so this is, at least in part, who we are. It's, it's a foundational level. This is what we build on. Who are we as, as human beings? Who are you? This is the founding point. But, but where did we come from? Now, now bear with me here, because I know that sounds a little redundant based on what I've just said. But, but where do we come from? And think about this with me for a moment, if you will, because this is a vital point. God created you. Go back to the start with me, if you will. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God. We're talking about the, the uncreated one. The one who has always existed. The one who stands before and outside of time itself, let alone the material world in which we live. This is a statement of his pre-existence, of his supremacy. God is the one who willed into being the heavens and the earth. His power is so immense that he simply spoke and it was. There was nothing And then he spoke, and there was something. Biblical scholar Dr. Kenneth Taylor writes, If if one can believe the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, he can believe just about anything claimed in the Bible itself. God is the one who spoke all things into being. He is the one who determined your existence. It's his will that you exist. And he is the one who each day made the assessment, the evaluation. This is good. This is good. But then on the sixth day, after he'd created animal kind itself, he then created human beings in his likeness. And God's assessment was, it is very good. This is very good. All the creating 
work days, if you will, day one through five, came in preparation of day six. They were his advance work in anticipating the crown jewel of his creation, the, the, the bringing of, of order out of the chaos, his speaking to matter such that it would realize the profound potential that he placed in it. All of this amazing and extensive, comprehensive work of God was anticipating that day six, when the crown jewel of God's creation, the crown jewel of his creating efforts would finally be placed in the setting that he had lovely, lovingly and, and, and expertly prepared. I don't know if you noticed that in this creating is the creating of time. Like time itself. Let there be light. Evening and morning came, marking the first day. Ta-da! Time. Weather. He's created weather here. Let there be space between the waters, sky. Let there, the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. Ta-da! Weather, air, land, water, all of the, the fundamental elements of our earth that we observe. He created food. I mean, from the dawn of time, humanity has paid attention to these things. What am I going to eat? What's the weather tomorrow going to be? What's the weather today going to be? Um, what time is it? Sunrise, sunset. I mean, th this is fundamental to what it means to be human. All of this was prepared. It was prepared by him in anticipation of the crown jewel of his creation, human beings come. I've had the privilege this summer of doing several weddings. It's been lovely. It's been lovely. Um, in our culture, it, it is very common for the groom to give the bride uh, an engagement ring, right? And, and I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of, of seeing a, a ring crafted. Um, uh, when, I, when Ann and I were engaged to get married uh, 29 years ago, uh, we had a family friend or an acquaintance of family who made jewelry, like expertly. Um, and so we got to go and custom design the rings that would be our her engagement ring and, and then our wedding rings together and, and saw the molds that he would use and, and, and craft and prepare. The, the, the setting for an engagement ring in particular, uh, sometimes they're ornate, right? You know, sometimes they're maybe simpler. Very commonly, very often, they're made out of something precious. You know, it's, it's white gold, yellow gold, platinum, uh, made out of something precious. But it's all built in anticipation of the gem that's going to be placed in the setting in such a way that, huzzah, it, it, it's shown for the brilliance of what it is, right? In our culture, most often it's a diamond. And the facets that are cut in the diamond are done in such a spectacular way that light, when it comes through, refracts into its colors. And whether it's a little diamond or it's a big diamond, oh my goodness, it's a gorgeous thing. Like it shows off. Well, it shows off the brilliance of the creator, but then it shows off the brilliance of the jewel that is placed there. And we say, wow, wow. And God had been creating the setting, anticipating your arrival. This is where you came from. This is where you came from. This is the one who, who anticipated you. God's creation was showing off his greatness 
And you preeminently do that. You're designed to show off his greatness. The brilliance of who he is, the spectacle of what he has done to refract his light through you such that the radiance of the full light spectrum would be seen emanating through your life. Who are you? You've been created in the image of God. You're you're to be his co-regent, his ambassador. You and I, we are to be his representative rulers and we're to reign and we're to manage his creation. Where do we come from? You came from the hand of the all-powerful, almighty, eternally existent God. He willed you into being. It is his determination that you should exist. The psalmist, using poetic language to try to help us grasp this, sings about it in celebration. Psalm 139, verse 13, you, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Who I am, where I've come from, where are we going? Where are we going? Look at verse 26. Let me just draw your attention to this again. I've put this actually in the sermon notes inviting you to memorize it. I try to invite you to memorize scripture each week. Maybe that's something you want to add to your, your schedule. But I've put it in there. This would be a good passage to memorize. Verse 26 through 28. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. How do I know that this is that you are the crown jewel? How do I know that human beings are the crown jewel, the focus of his creation? It's right there. Everything else, everything else, the, the creation of each of the other elements in the universe is described once. But the creation of the human being is described three times. Firstly, he begins with his intent, and then he declares that his intent has been adequately fulfilled. And then right in the middle, right there that I just read, he says, God created them, human beings in his image. In the image of God, there's the second statement, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That that, that triple statement, it's more than just poetic language. This is a statement of purpose, it's a statement of, of intent, it's a statement of of prominence and importance. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. This this is who you are. Created in God's image. It's where you come from, established by the hand of God himself. And, And this establishes the trajectory of where we are going. We're going to flesh this out more substantially over the coming Sundays. But consider this much for now. You are more than just the material from which you have been made. We live in a materialistic society, culture. We tend to think about things from the, like the what it is, right? So my son Daniel wanted to make a little bit of furniture for his dorm room. He's going back to university next week. 
Um, and so I spent the last week and a half or so building a coffee table, uh, building a coat tree. We talk about that kind of creating act, and we say he built a coffee table, right? You know, um, we are a materialist kind of society. We think about things from the substance of what it is. Right next door, we're building a church. But, but the bricks and the mortar, the, the nuts and the bolts, the, the nails and the screws and the drywall, and the, 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 like that's not the church. Like, like it's, it's being built for purpose. See, much of the world, when, when you describe something that's created, they see it by, by virtue of its function. Like, what is it created for more than what is it? It's material. What are we creating there? We're creating a space through which the church right here, you and I, can become the, the agents of God doing his work in this community. Like the building is just the facilitator of the, of the mission. We are people, we are functional people. We're called into action. The church is a verb. We're not just a noun. And that's what, Something's going on here in Genesis 1 that, that, that often gets missed. Genesis 1 is the setting up of the story of the balance of the Bible. Like, where is all this going? This account of God's creating work is setting the stage for an entire performance that will ultimately culminate at the end of the book of Revelation, but which is ongoing right now, and you and I, you and I continue as actors on the stage. Moses was looking at, at, at his world, seeing it through his eyes, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and, and he was preparing the people of God, the first people of God, for entering into the land. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written in that kind of environment, and anticipating the day that they would step into the land, and he would instruct them on how to be the people of God. And those instructions can continue to have, have significant importance for us as we intend to, to step into our land, so to speak, in order that we would be the people of God according to his intent, according to his purpose. In the beginning, God. Can we get that one straight? There is a God and I am not him. He is the one who pre-exists and continues to exist and call all things into being. He stands outside of his created realm, outside of time, though he intervenes. He pre-exists matter itself. And, and he's called it into being, and he will call it to completion as well. And you and I are at the very heart of this story. The very heart of showing off his greatness in the world in which he's placed us. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, which, um, which focuses on what it means to be more chaos. Every now and then, chaos happens, right? You know, and then we call it back into order. Genesis chapter 2 focuses on what it means to be human. Like, like what does it mean? To, to really live this out, to be a reflection of his likeness. Then all too quickly you get to Genesis chapter 3, right? That, that recounts 
the, the, the dreadful choices that are made and the fallenness that, that, that came about in God's perfect and beautiful creation. Devastation that came because of the choices of those first human beings. We, we tend to go there quickly because we feel the pain of all of that. But could, could we just linger in Genesis 1 for a little longer this morning? Like, could we just linger in the God created and said, this is good. Maybe you've been there this summer. Maybe, maybe you're on vacation and had the privilege of going out to the prairies. You saw the expanse, and you said, this is good. Or you went to the mountains. Some of you were traveling the entire nation. Wow. Some of you went to the mountains. You said, oh my goodness, I feel so small. This is, I feel so small as I look at the spectacle. Or maybe you made it all the way out to the ocean, and you looked out upon, across the expanse. Maybe you made it in July, not August. So you could actually see the ocean, right? You said, oh, the power of the waves as they come in. Oh, the beauty of all of this. And, and for a moment in time, Genesis 3 was set aside. And you were able to live in Genesis 1 for a moment or two and worship. You know, friends, that's the place of worship. The place of worship this is in Genesis 1, when we sing songs and we pray prayers and we are drawn into a reality that is greater than the immediacy of what we are in right now. We're drawn into a place where we say, oh, he is good. His love endures forever. He reigns and the majesty of his name is spectacular and it's right and fitting that I would find my place with him. That not only is he the one who called me into the being, but he is the one who is transacting his presence in me and through me and is calling me into his purposes. And he has purpose. He has his intent. And I may not have figured it out yet, but it's good. And together, it's very good. Together, it's very good. King David reflected on this. Psalm chapter 8, he wrote lyrics celebrating this very goodness. The, the prescript to this psalm says, for the choir director, Tim, a psalm of David to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Uh, Dion, Bill, Corey, I think I need your help here. To be accompanied by stringed instruments. Well, maybe you'd stand with me this morning. As I, as I just, I'd like to read this psalm for you. You'd be welcome to, to speak it along with me if you'd like. But let's catch the majesty of what David was overwhelmed with as he reflected on the things that we're attempting to reflect on here this morning and in these coming weeks. Here's what David said. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies, all who oppose you. There's that chaos. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars you set in place? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Friends, to whatever extent you, you look at your life and say, look, that, that pristine world that you're describing, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. I, 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 that's Genesis 3. Just recognize that. That's Genesis 3. That's what comes in the fall. The world that's dark, that's, that's argumentative, that's dirty, that's difficult. <sighs> I know we live there. I know we're living there. But we also live in Genesis 1. We also live in this place. You get to Genesis 2, and it's described as a garden. This beautiful place that he puts us in. And it is not coincidental the Genesis, that the Bible begins in a garden. And John in the Revelation tells us it will be consummated in a garden. That's a picture of his beautiful provision for you. These idyllic, garden-like conditions serve as a reminder of God's intent for you. It speaks of his love for you, his purpose and his design of you. His call to you. Come. Come. Worship me. And so when we worship, we're, we're invited into the, trans, the, the transcendence. We're, we're invited to sort of leave the temporal, leave the, 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 the momentary, the, the difficulties. And we're invited to come and recognize afresh what is ultimately true, what is preeminently true, what is truer than any of these other things that might also be true, the, the primary truth, the, the first truth, the greatest truth. He loves you. And, and catch this. Not only are you God's crown jewel, but you have been placed in a setting, the universe, planet Earth, nation Canada, province, Alberta, town, Okotoks, church family, Okotoks Alliance Church. He invites you to belong. He invites you to find place and purpose. As he looks at all these things, he says, it's good. And he looks at us together, and he says, very good. This is very good.